Welcome to the Well Grand Rapids Message of the Week. We hope you are encouraged, strengthened, and experience the presence of God through this message by Max Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. That was very unexpected and uh, very appreciated. Jesus is king. It would help if we all said that together. Jesus is king. It's, uh, it's weird watching stories like that or seeing how people might receive you and recognizing that is his fault. It is 100% Jesus' fault. So I'm just super honored. Uh, the video is awesome. I, I will hold it together. And... Uh, Thank you to everybody that's sent us food the last month. We've had our nieces li uh, living with us, and I think Thea's cooked like a few dinners this month, so thank you. Some of you have given us money, um, and so we just feel so supported and helped. Our family does. Um, just very, very grateful. I, uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> That song, Revelation song, so let me get rid of this. Let me talk about this. And then my son, my son, my oldest son, Caden, had a jiu-jitsu tournament this weekend, and he got second place. He is wired for aggression, and uh, I love everything about it. So he asked me to wear this so I could show you all, and he said, please, Dad, tell them that I earned it. It's not yours. So if you see him, give him a pound, because this, this thing weighs like two pounds. It's very cool. And uh, that Revelation song, I mean, honestly, thank you for coming to my service today, because this feels like, this feels like it's all about me. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was engaged before I married my wife, Thea. For seven days, I was engaged, and then I got dumped. And then I went on a mission trip with my ex-fiance. And uh, on this mission trip, she started flirting with a guy who we were all hanging with. And I uh, came into the room, and uh, there was like eight of us all staying together in a house. We went down to Georgia, and we were preaching the gospel on the streets, and we saw, we saw miracles. Signs and wonders. We saw guys that just got out of prison coming home with us and just getting rocked in glory. It was like pure chaos and it was beautiful. But I come into the room and my ex-fiance and uh, our friend, they were out in the car together talking. And I had jealousy, envy, bitterness, murder, wrath, rage. <laughs> it was all there. And um, I had bought a guitar in high school. <clears throat> because I really wanted to learn how to play guitar. And so I would play, and this was as a heathen, I would try to play, and I could never play and sing at the same time. It was like there was a disconnect. I just, I could either do this or I could sing, but I couldn't, like, pat your belly, rub your belly, pat your head thing. I couldn't do it. And so then this night happens down in Georgia, and uh, 
I said, Lord, you know, I'm being honest with him. Like, I got, I got all this stuff in my heart that's not good. And really all I want to do is worship you. And I went into this back bedroom and locked myself in a room. And there was a guitar leaning in the corner and a songbook. And I opened it up to Revelation song. It's like four easy chords. Figured out four easy chords. And I could instantly play and sing at the same time. And it does not sound like what they do. <laughs> but God loved it. And I sat in there for probably a half hour, 45 minutes, and just sang Revelation song and got smoked in glory. Like, and I came out, and there's no envy. There's no bitterness. There's no rage. It, the presence of God is the only thing that fixes us. Nothing else matters. It's the glory that we need. <laughs> and I came out of the bedroom, and I opened up the door, and all seven people that are staying in the house are laid out in the hallway getting smashed by God. Because <laughs> there's just something that happens when you decide you are going to seek God. It's impossible for it to not change the world around you. His presence is, it is intoxicating, it's addictive. It's why I'm still here. I have tried to walk away from him, but his glory keeps me. Oh, he's wonderful. Man. <laughs> I, uh, I got something to talk about for our, our identity, and I want to share. Um, a friend sent me a dream, and the summary of the dream was there was a tabernacle that had pillars multiple pillars, and in the dream, I was explaining to my friend, this was not my dream, this was somebody else's dream, that I was frustrated with the designers that built the pillars for me because they built them to be square, and I really wanted them to be round, and I was really angry in the dream. And the reason I wanted them to be round was because if you tipped them over, they actually became the means, like they were giant marble columns, they became the means that we transported the tabernacle on. And so if they were square, you couldn't roll them. But if they were circular, you would tip these pillars over, stack the, stack the tabernacle on, and roll it, is how I'm envisioning the dream. And I believe it's a prophetic picture for what I, wanted, what I felt the Lord was sharing with me to share this morning about how we see who we are in Christ and who we are to God. And I think sometimes we get these identity messages we get these identity messages and we incorporate them, we try to incorporate them in our life as if they're square-shaped. But they're meant to be mobile and fluid. And it'll make a little bit more sense as I keep talking. I shared, I don't know if it was three years ago or two months ago, but Genesis, the Genesis story with Abram and, and Egypt and Israel the first time that the people of God actually go to Egypt, it's Abram. And he shows up, and the consequence or the result of him going to Egypt is he gets very, very wealthy because he lies. The second time that the people of God experience Egypt is with Joseph, where there's a famine in the land. Joseph is the great Joseph is the great-grandson of Abram, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob has Joseph. Joseph gets sold by his brothers and is enslaved in Egypt. Most of you remember the story? 
So he goes to Egypt. Years go by. There's a famine in the land. And Joseph grows in favor with Pharaoh in Egypt. And because of that relationship, Egypt actually becomes the means that God uses to save Israel during a time of famine. Without Egypt, Israel would have died. Without Egypt, Israel wouldn't, they wouldn't be here anymore. So the first introduction that the people of God have with Egypt is salvation. It actually is the provision of God for their life. 400 years go by, and it says a new king arose in Egypt who didn't know Joseph, I think is what it says. Either it says Jacob or Joseph. I think it says Joseph. And at that point, Egypt and Pharaoh starts to enslave Israel and starts to make them build their city and, you know, they're whipping them and they got to build bricks out of clay and hay or whatever they do. And that's the story of Moses, where Moses is actually raised up as a deliverer to bring Egypt, to bring Israel out of Egypt. And it's a, it, to me, it's a beautiful picture of what happens when you stay too long in the last thing that God did. So oftentimes, Egypt, we only think it's sin. We only think it's bondage. But it starts as a good thing. I would say for many of us who have been walking with the Lord for more than a year or two, you understand that the biggest dilemma in your life isn't sin or goodness, isn't sin or righteousness. It's the good opportunities that you can do. It's the distractions of the blessing of the Lord. It's your children. It's your job. It's promotions at work. It's the cares and worries of life that can grow up and start to rob you of this tender affection with Jesus. My biggest problems in my life are the things that God gave me. And they're only problems when I let them become more important than him. And so... Thinking in the context of Egypt is salvation and then it becomes bondage and our identities need to be fluid. They, they can't be square pillars that never move. I want to share with you, this is a revelation that I had this week. Um, and I think the Lord's goal this morning is to not, it's not to communicate that maybe what you've been living in is wrong and bad, and what God wants to give you is good and right, I think what God wants to do is teach us all how to live in fluid identities. I'm just going to read a couple of these verses, and then I'll keep talking. Pastor Matthew shared, I think it was a couple weeks ago when we did baptisms, out of Romans 6. Uh, I don't know what verse it is, but it's somewhere between 15 and 23. And it says, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. I believe that this is a, a revelation or a depiction of our, our introduction into the kingdom that we are actually blood-bought, purchased, God owns you. Like, your life is not your own. He did this, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and as you say yes to him, you give him your life, and you have no rights to it anymore. You don't get a say in where you live, where you go, if you marry, if you don't, if you're rich, if you're poor, you don't have any say in that matter. God is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. It is good. It's so liberating when he's Lord. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. John 15, verse 14 through 17, Jesus says to his disciples, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for as a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. You are my friends. This is Jesus to his disciples. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Do you see this as a promotion in relationship with God that is actually founded on our performance, on our behavior, on our lifestyle choices? He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. It means it's a choice that you and I play. We decide if we obey or not. I'll keep going. You guys thinking? Okay. It gets worse. (laughs) Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. I won't read it, but it goes on. There's actually a picture in Revelation that you and I get to ride horses to, which I, for whatever reason, had never read. The picture in my head is a Caucasian Jesus with a sword in his hand, you know, like, <laughs> riding on his enemies. And, uh, but he's probably a short Middle Eastern man, and we're all on horses too, is what the rest of the story says. <laughs> okay. Talking about the bride of Christ. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The verse before that says, she made herself ready. It says that it was granted to her, meaning it was given her the ability to do something. She was given the ability to clothe herself in white linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, this is, this is what I was getting smashed with this week, was there is a righteousness that we are clothed in. It says, put on the new man, put on Christ. We are clothed in Christ. He becomes our righteousness before God. That is not the righteousness that this is talking about. This is not talking about clean and unclean. You get to ride a horse with Jesus in eternity. It's not, this is talking about the bride of Christ is actually given the ability to make herself ready. It's something that God doesn't necessarily do for you. It's that one thing verse that someone shared that I'm like, that's, I mean, that's my verse. 
you, you, your choices matter. Why does this matter? All right. There is obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation for our walk with God. If it isn't, you're, you're off. You're missing something. Once we learn to obey, which how many of you would say, I, I know what that means. I know what it's like to give money when I don't want to, but he said to. I know what it's like to pray for the sick when I'm terrified nothing's going to happen and I'm insecure, I'm going to get fired for it. I know what it's like to call and apologize and repent to my brother and my sister or my unsaved coworker when all of my pride and my, you know, my whatever I'm trying to protect says I shouldn't have to do that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Five of you. Five of you know how to obey. 12, 15, awesome. Give me 20, give me 25, give me 30. <clears throat> that is what it actually feels like to learn to obey. Like you do what you don't want to do because he said to do it. It's not obedience if you want to do it. <laughs> That's a good word. Thank you, Max. So we start there. Once we've learned to obey... I don't have great language for it because I think graduation or promotion kind of denotes that obedience is less valuable, doesn't it? Like, oh, you just obey Jesus? Well, I'm his friend. And I think that's wrong. I, I, don't, I don't think God sees it that way at all because I'm his son for eternity. I'm his wife, but I'm also his servant. He is my master. I don't ever leave that. I don't ever get promoted out of he's the boss. I do whatever he says to do whenever he says to do it. But I do get friendship added into my relationship. And one of the marks of friendship is God will actually start to communicate with you about things that don't require obedience. So if you only know God as a master Lord, then every time he talks to you, how you're going to feel like you need to respond is, well, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with that, God? Your prayer life will be, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How should I live? Your whole world is defined by obedience, right? Friendship says God will actually start to tell you things that you don't actually need to do anything about because he's your friend. I'll, he says he'll actually tell you the things that he's doing. Oh, that's good. Okay, it's the Bible. He said, look, a master doesn't tell his servants what he's doing. A master tells his servants what they need to do. But friendship means he's going to start to tell you things he's doing. And you get to sit. It, do, it, doesn't, it does mean inactivity. This is permission to rest. This is permission to actually hear the voice of God and not feel like you have to run 24 hours a day and burn out and sacrifice your children for the name of the ministry. You can actually commune with him all day long where he is telling you amazing things and you go, that's great. I would like another s'more at the fire. I love you too, Jesus. The step past that is this bridal thing, this wife thing where she actually clothes herself with her righteous deeds. Now, if God tells you to do something and you do it, that's obedience. Amen? Jesus told this crazy parable in Luke 17. The apostles asked the Lord, they say, increase our faith. 
So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our dirty duty to do. So likewise, when you have done all those things which are commanded to say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. There's no rewards for obedience. When God tells you to do something and you do it, he doesn't say, great job, unless this parable is not true. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? This is Jesus talking. No. I can feel it twisting. At least that's what it feels like up here. <laughs> There's obedience that is expected when we come into the kingdom. There's rest that comes from understanding that he's our friend and he wants to communicate with things. He wants to communicate things with us that don't require our performance, don't require our necessarily our interaction with. And then there's this bridal thing where we begin to clothe ourselves in righteous deeds. It doesn't mean that we're made righteous because of our works. It means I actually have obtained such a love and value for Jesus. You have actually obtained such a love and value for Jesus that you are seeking to be a co-laborer, to be his partner in the earth, where you are doing things out of your will because you want to do them for your husband's sake. This is where reward comes in. And they're all very important. They're, none of them are less important or more valuable. We are need to have fluid identities that move. If you're stuck in obedience, dreaming without obedience will lead you to build your own kingdom. If you don't know how to obey Jesus and you're a dreamer who wants to change the world and you would attach spiritual scriptures to that desire, you are going to build a kingdom unto yourself and you are going to point people to you. At the end of your life, it's all going to burn because you won't know it, but you're going to get there and find out you built something on yourself and you weren't like Christ who learned obedience through the things you suffered. Resting without obedience leads to hedonism. It also will never fill your tank. Jesus said stuff like this, I have food that you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of the Father. My sustenance, my provision, my strength, the energy that I need, I actually get it from obeying God. If you don't know how to obey God and you're resting, then you're going to go on vacation and be more tired when you came back. 
You're going to take the weekend off. You're going to stay home from church because you need some time off. And you're going to be just as fried on Monday. It doesn't work. If you dream without rest, it will cause you to put your fulfillment and your confidence before God in your achievements. If you dream without the ability to actually, what, is, what do I mean by this? Obedience just means do whatever he says whenever he says to do it, regardless of the cost. Like, I actually believe you should be willing to die for Jesus. There, a lot of the world's doing it every day. We're not better than that. We don't have a prettier gospel. Yes unto death is what the gospel is. Because he did it for me. Resting to me means Jesus said, I don't do anything except for what I see. I do nothing except for what I see the Father doing, and I don't say anything except for what I hear him saying. It means you actually have to be okay doing nothing. Isn't that one of the hardest things for us to do? It's, it's something that we need to learn how to do. It's what Pastor Matthew is sharing. Their family is there. They're, I believe you're pioneering in our community of what rest means. It's intentional Nope. <laughs> I remember when I quit, um, I quit uh, working for a boss and I went to self-employed. And I, I, didn't, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I had no picture for what the future held. I didn't know what business I was going to create. I didn't, I didn't know. All I knew was I can't stay here. <laughs> I can't keep doing this thing. And I didn't do anything for like two months, two or three months. I got up at 10 It was, it was, I got like, like, what's that called? Where you detoxify? It was detox. I didn't know how to do nothing. It took me three or four weeks to actually settle into, this is okay. I don't have to do anything. Why do I feel like I have to do something? Where did that come from? Because God's telling me to chill out and listen to his voice. And then I would sit and he wouldn't say anything. And God, I'm really not okay with just spending time with you. <laughs> See, I came here to get something done, Jesus. <laughs> you got to talk to me. You got to tell me what we're doing so I can keep this religious mindset of performance going. And it drives me crazy that you won't tell me what to do. Because I don't know how to just sit and let you say nothing. I don't know how to just sit and let you say you love me. I don't know how to go for a walk with my family with no agenda. Obedience without rest will keep you from becoming friends with Jesus. Resting without dreaming will never allow you to become a co-laborer or a joint heir, and your inheritance will be limited. We'll all go to heaven. We're all going to get there. But your eternal rewards are going to be significantly limited. And it's going to matter a lot when you look him face to face. It might not matter to you now, but it will then. Obedience without dreaming keeps us in a master-slave relationship when God purchased a bride for his son. What I, what I would hope that this 
kind of provokes, what I feel like the Lord wants to provoke in us this morning, it really is that dream. It's a, it's a fluid identity. So what I felt primarily was most of you only know how to be a slave. You only know how to do what God told you to do. And that's beautiful. There is nothing wrong with obeying Jesus. I think this is what I got rebuked in this past week was I, I feel like I, used, I carried a mindset that that was somehow bad. Like to stay in obedience, you're missing it. Because he's a dad and you are missing it. But it's beautiful. If all you do is obey Jesus, rock on. It's him or the devil you get to pick. <laughs> you know? But I, I, I believe that the Lord wants to unlock people in your private life to learn to actually hear different voices. Not, not a different speaker, but different voices. Because he is your master. He is your friend. He's your comforter. He is your bridegroom. He's your lover. He's your counselor. He's your rebuker. And I started thinking about what does this look like in people's lives in the scriptures. And I started thinking of um, Joshua, David, Peter's shadow. Part of this growing from obedience, learning to do nothing, and then starting to dream, it unlocks a creativity in us. It un this dreamer side where we, we start to function like a bridegroom, it'll, it'll feel like you, your ideas. It'll feel like things that you want to do, things that you're passionate about. And that is what God is looking for in this hour. He is looking for his wife. It says that he is, the Lord looks to and fro across the earth to find a heart that's fully his, that he could support it or that he could strengthen it. Like he is searching for somebody that's fully after him so that he can bless that. And as your dreamer gets unlocked, you're going to have business ideas and creative ideas with family and ministry and stuff that you've never seen before. But if we don't know how to obey and rest and start to add our ideas into what God is doing through relationship with Jesus, all we're going to do is get more church. And God is not moving in that model right now. So Joshua is an example. I read this and I threw my phone across the car. It's Joshua 10. It happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. I think Joshua learned how to tap into obedience. If you look at his life, he obeys with Jericho seven times around the city. I mean, he's doing it to the T. God said, do this. Nobody talk. Everybody shut up. Day seven, everybody yell. Like, that's an obedience picture. Rest, they, the next battle they go into, he has to ask the Lord, do we go take it or do we sit? Like, I'm okay sitting around. I'm waiting for your voice. He's learning rest. In this dream, it's weird to me. It says, Joshua spoke to the Lord, but what he actually says is, son, stand still. 
which is a picture of the gift of faith to me. Like Joshua's praying to God, but he's telling the son to stand still, and those are the same thing. I've, I've experienced the gift of faith a few times, and that's what it feels like. You're talking to God, but you're telling cancer to go away because you know it will. And it says, never has a day like that happened before or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. That was his idea. This was Joshua's idea to tell the sun to stop. Peter walking on water was Peter's idea. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. I think Peter's shadow healing the sick was Peter's idea. I think this is my interpretation. It came out of Peter probably sitting alone with Jesus saying, God, I want so much glory on my life that everybody knows it's not me. I want you to do things in and through my life with whatever time I have left that everybody knows it's Jesus. And the consequence is a shadow. I don't, he might not have even known that was going to happen. David's tabernacle is the same thing. It was David's idea to build this tabernacle. God didn't tell him to do that. And what we're losing when we're stuck in obedience, when we're taught a religious leaven that says do what God tells you to do because that is the highest calling in the earth, is we lose out on this bridal exchange, this husband-wife exchange where I am equally yoked with him. The desires and the dreams of my heart, I can trust them and I start to declare them into the atmosphere because I want to see them happen. Not because God told me to do it. That is what is going to change the earth. He is coming back for a bride, not a slave. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your kindness and your affection towards us. God, I thank you that you have large dreams for your children, for your wife. I thank you, God, that there is not a cap put on your church. There's not a limit. You said anything is possible with God. And Lord, I'm, I'm asking for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon your church that she would start to see and continue to see herself the way that you do. Lord, that there would be so much liberty in freedom to hear you as a master that we can trust, a kind master that we can trust. We know that you command things for our benefit, for our safety, for our security. God, that we would receive this uh, ability to hear you as a friend and as a lover. And God, I pray for the dreams of people's hearts, the things that, it's the reason some of us are so frustrated how many of you would say you've been waiting, you're waiting for God, like, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do? Three, four, okay, that's, it felt like way more last time. If you're waiting, you might be in obedience. You're, you're only waiting to hear him in obedience, but he'd like to be your friend. Like, if, if your prayer has been, God, I want to do what you want to do and only what you want to do for more than six months, and he's not talking, then start doing what you want to do. Start doing something. He will rebu rebuke you, correct you, he'll adjust. Or you'll get it right and you'll find, wow, I'm in the middle of the calling of God in my life and I had no idea. 
So Lord, I just pray for that increase to come into this community, that there would be joy and liberty in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you were impacted by this message. For more information about The Well Grand Rapids, please visit our website at www.thewellgr.com.